Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to another week of our podcast, Med Family. This is uh, Eric Acker, the host, with Karen. Hey, guys. Hey, and uh, we have a special hurricane edition. Uh, <laughs> well, it's not really a hurricane. It's a little overdramatic, but it's, uh, yeah, we... we uh, have a hurricane that's apparently hitting Florida, moving through Georgia, and it supposedly was supposed to be getting more rain and wind, but I have not yet seen it. Well, we are getting rain, um, and I guess the closest a tornado was in Wil- South Carolina. Wilmington, I think. Yeah, South Carolina. We're north, so <laughs> a yeah. little bit. We, we've dodged, knock on wood, we've dodged <laughs> a good amount of the rain, but uh, well, not the rain, the, the wind and the, the, wind. the worst of it. Yeah, so we're on, I think, uh, watch until about one thirty in the morning, so we'll see. Yeah, so naturally we put off food on our podcast until <laughs> doing the episode. But uh, honestly, I don't think I could have done the episode yesterday. Yesterday, that was a little rough. Yeah, so we ended up, uh, one of our sons got a toothache over the weekend, and so we had, uh, we brought him in on Monday and... They fitted him in for emergency surgery to get have a tooth extraction because... I don't like the word emergency. emergency. It wasn't an emergency. It wasn't it an was... emergency. It was our son cannot <laughs> sit still or have people's fingers in his mouth, so he had to be put asleep in order for them. But they thought it was important enough to have it done and not wait. Yes. So um, they had a cancellation. So we got in the next morning and... Um, Unfortunately for us, our babysitter canceled at like six o'clock the night before. Very inconvenient. <laughs> Very inconvenient. <laughs> um, but Eric's program was nice enough to let him come in late, so Eric ended up bringing him in, and then I, he had to wait while he was got yeah, lots there. of questions, you old questions done and whatnot. Yeah, and so then I met Eric, brought him coffee, and we did the handoff, and Eric went to work, yeah. but he ended yeah. up working significantly later because he started later and just because and my my attending was... handed me a patient at almost four o'clock <laughs> a challenging patient at that so um yeah and it, it, even though i so i worked on the patient admitted the patient got him onto the floor well i got they were in the ed all the admit orders were in and all the treatment orders were in the patient stayed in the ed until like midnight plus and even though I left and handed off the patient to the nighttime team, um, just trying to, you know, I got to hand off the patient to somebody. So I handed it off to the nighttime team that I knew they were going to go to their floor once the room was available. Then I got messages sent to me at like 1130 midnight. <laughs> so like even though I got home and I had a very late night, I was still dealing with this patient at midnight and then just to turn around and come back to the hospital and, you know, restart admits again at 7 o'clock. So. And I got the first patient this morning, so that, that was exciting. <laughs> I only got one, so I really can't complain. I only got the one patient, but it was difficult, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> you just have 
a lot going on and like, oh my gosh, COPD, uh, exacerbation, acute respiratory failure. Um, and a lot of these are tying together. Pneumonia, possible UTI, possible this, possible that. Oh, the troponins are really elevated. The, S- the ECG was all wacky looking. And it's like, oh, let's get cardiology on board. And wacky that- looking. What a medical <laughs> term. <laughs> well, it's hard. So it's like ST depressions in a bunch of the leads and then some ST elevations in a couple leads. Um, then you had, uh, I think that, that was the biggest significant one. It, was, it wasn't just like, oh, it's like one millimeter. It was like, no, that's like a three millimeter ST depression. And it wasn't, it wasn't like PR elevations or PR depressions, ST elevations. I think it's, that's for the pericarditis. But like, it was, and I was like, oh, let me look back at this patient's previous ECG because, you know, we do a lot of ECGs in the ER. And so I was looking back like two years ago when the patient was last in the hospital and was like, no, that's a completely normal <laughs> echocardiogram. So uh, what we have in the ED is a very abnormal with ele- rising troponins. Um, the patient's a little altered, so you're not really going to get the... Like, hey, do you have chest pain? (laughs) Um, So that was challenging. I don't think it ended up being that, but then at midnight, cardiology finally follows back up, and they're like, hey, uh, you you could might as well start the patient on heparin drip. And it's like, uh... Because I I had talked to my attending before I'd left and mentioned that cardiology had... had mentioned if we thought it was a STEMI, then go ahead and start the uh, the heparin drip. And I was like, but I, I think it's just demand ischemia due to the respiratory failure causing hypoxia, and that could damage the heart, which can release the troponins and can cause ischemic damages, and you can, therefore you can see ischemic changes on the ECG. So this all kind of makes sense, but we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we didn't at least keep an eye on the idea of an STEMI on top of everything else. <laughs> so, um, so they, she, my attending thought like, no, there's no reason to do the heparin drip. And there was some reason they, they talked her and the other attendants in the office were laughing about doing a possible and uh, a heparin drip and how that might be problematic. Um, I think there was something about coagulopathy or something like that. And it's just like, I don't know, but I went home <laughs> and I got the message from the cardiologist suggesting, so, so my attending also said, we're not going to start it unless cardiologist puts it in writing that they actually suggest this. And then they put it in writing at, <laughs> at midnight. <laughs> it's like, well, well, shoot. You know, I, I, don't, I don't really fully understand why my attending thought that heparin drip might not be a good idea. And I was looking at up to date, trying to be a good student. And I was like, well, if anything, it does nothing. If anything, it might help. Like there's some studies on up to date that talk about how heparin drips in patients with uh, sepsis and pneumonia could also be helpful. Um, but some of the studies say that it doesn't provide any benefit, which doesn't mean it hurts the patient, just doesn't provide any benefit. So, so there was like different studies. It hasn't been really fully worked out so in my mind i'm like it doesn't sound like i would hurt the patient by adding heparin but at the same time it's midnight my shift starts at seven ends at four 
And <laughs> my attending, who is supposed to oversee all my work, ends at 7 p.m. So... Why am I getting this message? Like, I don't, who, is, who is supposed to be the attending for this patient? Um, the, those sort of questions. And I, I didn't, you know, being an intern, I don't, I don't have a full grasp on, like, after I leave, who takes over? And so that was today's conversations with some of the seniors. And it's like, what happens? So did I hand off the patient to the right person? What should I have done? Should I do something differently? So a lot of those kind of questions had to be asked and answered because it's yeah. definitely concerning when you're like, what am I supposed to do? And to be fair, like the last few weeks, they rotate who the attending physician is for admit team. So Eric's had different attendings throughout this whole time. And to be fair, the last few attendings, if the patient was still in the ED when Eric left, the attending would do the sign out and re- yeah, they would, re- reassign. They would reassign it to a different attendee. So Eric wasn't getting messages for those patients, whereas um, this, this attending did some, did, something different. did something different. So um, that's why he's just now coming across this, <laughs> what, two well, weeks and, in? And yeah. it's also like there's a chance that luck of the draw, like maybe those other patients weren't particularly sick. And yeah. so they might have just hung out in the ED and been perfectly fine. And so there was no need to reach out to the doctor. Yeah. Well, and the other thing was, is um, it seems like this last evening, like you were an intern resident handing off to other intern residents. So nobody necessarily, it's new to everybody. And so. um, Yeah, that was tough. Usually on the night team, there's at least one senior on the night team. And for some reason, the entire night team consisted of uh, interns <laughs> and I'm sure that they had an attending. I'm sure that they had somebody that I think they had, um, a second year on ICU night float, which is something to mention that there's apparently an ICU night float That's gonna be <laughs> so fun. next year. <laughs> that's going to be a, that's going to be a rotation. Um, but I, I had talked to a few of the seniors, and apparently the process is, which I think I accidentally stumbled into, is you're supposed to hand off, the, if the patient's staying in the ED, we are supposed to hand off our patient to the the night resident who is assigned to rapid response. And that resident will watch the patient until they get to the floor and then hand the patient off to the team that the, that the floor that the patient ended up on. So my patient was going to go to 8 South, and <laughs> I handed off to the 8 South resident for nights, and they also happened to be the rapid response <laughs> resident. So it kind of all worked out. I did everything correctly, unbeknownst to myself. Um, <laughs> but the I, I think because of it, again, it's because... We're interns. We don't really fully understand how everything works. And it hasn't... I think sometimes people take for granted how everything just works, that they um, they forget that they had to learn it at one point, and so they forget to teach you. <laughs> like Just like at night, I still haven't found a very conclusive, hey, one attending wants me to remove them from the patient's like uh, on the patient's chart, it will show who the attending is. And so 
my admin attending had asked me, hey, when you hand off the patient, make sure you change me off of the attending and put it onto whichever floor that patient is going to because that floor has an attending. And some don't do that. <laughs> and I'm talking to other doctors, the other interns are like, oh, no, you don't do that. You don't mess with the attending. They, they do that. So it's very unclear. And I think because the seniors have just gotten so used to just doing it, they just kind of forget that that's a process that interns don't know about. And so interns are trying to figure out and invent the wheel at the same time everything else is going on. They're trying to learn. Again, this is a process thing. It's just not, it's unclear of how to get from point A to point B. And that can make it very stressful during the intern. Not only are you doing uh, doctor stuff. <laughs> Not only are you trying to be a competent doctor, you're also trying to competently work within the health system. And that can be very tricky. So in this particular case, the the night resident that I handed off to who was in charge of the South and on Rapids did not know that that was the, their job. That that wasn't something that, that was related to them. I handed off to them. They knew I was handing it off to them. But I think they anticipated that patient to be theirs once they got to the floor, not once they were in the ED. So there was some confusion there. But thankfully, there, um, one of our attendings, um, Dr. Juno, he's also he's like part of our program. And I, I think he's a faculty, core faculty or something like that. But he stepped in and like decided, yes, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And <laughs> just kind of took it over, which was nice because... It's really hard to go to sleep when you, you get woken up and you're about ready to go to sleep and you get that message and you're just like, oh no, like cardiology is making this recommendation. That must mean that they think that there's a good chance that this could be an end STEMI. But like my, my attending thought that this is definitely not a good idea. That it must be, it could have been, you know, like I must be missing something that could be catastrophic and I don't want to be that intern that started the med- a medication in the middle of the night with no governing attending to look it over and not running it by an attending at the very least. And like, I don't want to kill a patient, but at the same time, I don't want to not treat a patient and cause severe injury that, you know, could result in the patient to not leave the hospital. Like this is a tough spot to be in. <laughs> and, and then you're trying to talk to your, you know, I was messaging the night, resident was just like what do you think we should do and he's like what do you think we should do so it's like oh okay so we're all in the same boat here okay but then at the same time it's like she's like okay I'll, I'll work on it and you should get some sleep and I'm like okay great but I'm just laying there I'm like okay someone going to step in and do something and finish it off and then finally Dr. Juno comes in and takes care of everything so it's like okay now I can sleep because you don't want to, you want to do what's right for the patient. You don't, I mean, as much as like, I'm not on shift, like the question was asked to me, if I just ignore it, it's going to be seen. If something bad happens, they're going to see like this message was sent to the resident. The resident saw the message and then just straight up ignored it. Like, well, that's no good. So a couple lessons, <laughs> um, process, 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 understanding the process. And even as a senior, something to probably remind myself is that interns are not going to know the process. And so you do have to teach the more minute things because, uh, 
they've never done it before. They've never seen it before. They don't know how it works. And even though it's like everyday monotony to you, it's novel to them. Uh, but two, when I sign into my patients and assign them to myself, put it end time. Because <laughs> especially if you're going to hand them off, it's like, because if, if you're being looped in at midnight and you're an intern and you're the lowest doctor on the, the list, like there's a few doctors ahead of you that really should be in charge of that. And especially when you're not on service, like that's probably not the best spot to be in. So don't put yourself in that spot. Sign out of your patient. <laughs> like I, I've tried to make it a habit now when I get assigned a patient to admit that I sign into them. And then uh, Epic allows us to put an end time. So I always put like an end time of six, seven o'clock at night because sometimes I stay until seven o'clock and I don't sign up my patients until seven. So I'll just keep them till seven. Even if I leave at four, I'm still signed in for a few more hours, but that's not a big deal. Um, it's a little obscene to be dealing with it at midnight, but if you're not on service, but anyway, that's what, well, uh, it made it worse that we got up at like four 30 to get yeah, I'm doing our the, son to, the, <laughs> to his appointment at six thirty. <laughs> yeah. So and, and I, I, going talking a little bit about that, like I felt bad because like our son comes out of anesthesia and he is not a happy camper. Like, unhappy I mean, they, all they really I mean they pulled a tooth so that's probably not very comfortable I always thought that was interesting they're like oh he shouldn't be in a whole lot of pain I'm like you you yanked a tooth out like I've had a tooth pulled like I know that hurts like I have a wisdom teeth out which I know I guess is worse but like I know that doesn't feel particularly great so but they were like oh yeah he should be fine so Motrin ibuprofen no big deal like uh, Motrin and Tylenol you should be fine like okay but like he was mad and I felt bad because I you know got, we, I went in got got him from the the post-op area and then I carried him out to the car and he wasn't particularly happy and then I sat him in his seat buckled him in he just got so mad it's like okay well Karen good luck I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to work <laughs> Eric's face there was a baby crying in the back there was our son crying and then <laughs> he's just like are you sure you've got this I was like I got this <laughs> I'm gonna go home before it's too late <laughs> oh, I felt bad that was that sounded rough being completely honest it was a little rough for the first few hours it took a while for I think all of the anesthesia to wear off because he was he was walking like a drunk man for a while um and they put a spacer in the place where they pulled the tooth, so he doesn't really like that. But he's sent, he woke up this morning and he's been doing fine. And I forgot to give him Tylenol Motrin before bed, so he got two doses of medicine today and nothing else. So yeah, well we'll see. We'll yeah. see how it how it goes. And I mean, he seems to be doing pretty well. When I saw him this evening. <laughs> And this morning, I guess I saw him briefly this morning when I w got up and went to work. But yeah, so um, yeah, I, so I was gonna say loop back to admits. Yeah. Sorry, you were talking, and not really admits per se, but a topic that I saw on Reddit um, that I thought was interesting. Like there was somebody complaining about interns and how much they write in their notes. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. I've seen I've seen different variations of how much interns write. 
And I've seen people who write very long notes, very detailed notes, and I've seen people who write almost nothing. And um, I think that they're, I understand the argument. So like on this Reddit post, the person, I mean, there's a couple of different things. Like one, one thing, it seems like kind of petty. They're complaining about how, oh, they're so inefficient. They write these giant long notes and nobody has time to read them. But the attending thinks that they're such hard workers and they give them compliments. And then in comparison, you know, I must look like a, you know, a, a bad worker or not motivated and not putting in the, the right amount of time. And it's like, yeah, 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 that's a, that's, a, that's your own problem in my mind. Like that's a projection. Like <laughs> if you're, if you're upset that someone is putting in longer hours, like, and you're upset by that, like who cares? Like if you did a good job and you're attending things that your notes are just fine and you took care of your patients, then who cares if somebody on the team spent three more hours doing the same thing? Like, yeah, maybe they are a little inefficient. And probably, we're interns. We are inefficient. Uh, <laughs> I think, but, like, so you've gotten complimented by one of the attendings for your note. Most of my attendings have. Even today I got another, like, you attending, your notes are really good. But I'll go ahead. But I think, for the most part, they like it because they can follow your train of thought. So even if you ordered something that they wouldn't order or didn't, wouldn't generally order. They can see where it, how you got there and we're like, okay. Or they'll tell you, eh, let's not order it because of this, this, and this. And so it's a little bit easier to teach or correct because they know how you got there. And I think as interns, that's probably a better thing to do because it makes it easier for your attending to teach you and to show you where you went wrong in your thought process as opposed to trying to sit down with you and then have you verbally walk them through everything um, I mean, we, we have to do that anyway when I we know. present. I mean, I, I typically present before I even write my notes. Um, so a lot of that stuff gets flushed out. But I think you're right. Um, so you had more. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, because it, go, it passes from attending to attending. So like for admit team, Eric only has these patients for a day, half a day, few hours, depending. And then it goes to a completely separate team. So that attending... Granted, it's going to a fellow resident, intern, second year or third year, but the attending looks over it as well because they're responsible. They're signing off on what all, all of you guys are doing. So it helps when, like, for that one DK mm -hmm. patient where you guys did bicarb, and that's not a normal thing that you do for a DK patient. Yes, not very normal. But then you, you, you explain it, and they're like, okay, that makes sense. So, um, uh, and I think when you first talked to that team, they thought it was weird. And then after seeing the patient, having the patient, it made more sense. So, yeah, they, I think they were skeptical of our management initially. And then when they had the patient on the, on their floor for a day, they were like, ah, oh, we get it. <laughs> we, <laughs> this, this has been challenging. Um, so I think you're right. I, that, this is, a this is where I think there's a, a gradations. I think there you can be very detailed in your note and provide a lot of nothing, like information that is not important or information that is not useful. Um, but then there's times you, and especially, especially if you are writing, there's different ways to write a note, but like I, th I think one of the better ways to write a note is you are trying to construe what you are thinking through how you are describing the symptoms and the presentation. 
So someone reading your note will go, okay, you are clearly articulating DKA. And you're trying to show me how the symptoms are DKA without literally just saying patient has DKA. You're trying to say they came with altered mental status, crucible breathing, <laughs> and uh, maybe diaphoretic, maybe, um, yeah, crucible breathing, the blood sugars were elevated, they had a low bicarb, anion gap was like 30, and, you know, like, okay. And then they had ketones in there. And their urine. Okay, we, we I think we got a, a clear picture <laughs> of a DKA without you actually having to say it. Um, and then you have to talk about things that could be concerns. Um, so, like, is it just a DKA because the patient didn't take the medication? So you need to at least say the oh, patient wasn't, you know, say that they weren't compliant or unable to talk to the patient because of the altered mental status. Well, that now provides a little bit more information that the patient has come in altered. So... DKA altered. Okay, now we, we kind of think how deep this DKA is. And then uh, additional symptoms like are they febrile? Like do they have a fever? Do they do they have a cough? Do they like the wheezes in the in the lungs? And then granted the wheezes would be maybe not covered in your history and physical uh, your HPI, which is your present illness, but you're gonna include it in your you know physical exam. And that can clue someone into, well, is this a DKA because of medical, um, you know, medication non-adherence? Or is this a DKA because of infection? You know, increased metabolic demand with decreased insulin availability, causing the patient to go into di- diabetic ketoacidosis. Okay, so like, if you can include that stuff, like, again, you're being very systematic in how you approach it. So you can be very concise. I, I'm sure I could be more concise. But there's also a point where, like, you're so concise, you are not providing anything. And there are so many notes I read, and I'm like, you provided me nothing. Yeah. Well, and the, there was the one DK patient where it didn't seem that it, it the team was having a hard time getting it under control. And so then you kind of go fishing for other things like, okay, is there something on top of? Yeah. Is there a reason this patient is very acidotic that we have not addressed? And <laughs> so then you have to, yeah. So then you order like a urinalysis or a... Well, you, you might... You other might, test to see if they yeah, turn to overdose Yeah, I did a salicylic acid. I was looking back in it later, like, honestly, looking at it now and knowing what I know about DKA and how we treated this patient, like might have wanted to think about maybe a head X, you know, head CT or something because uh, the patient was altered coming in, got a little bit better, and then went back to being altered. So it's like, well, did we push this patient into cerebral edema by over fluid resuscitating them? Or did we not adequately fluid resuscitate this patient? They slipped back into DKA. So there's a few different things you get to think about. And I'm not sure if getting the CT of the head was the, would be a correct response, but certainly something to be concerned about when someone is improving and then suddenly neurologically regress, regresses. Um, and uh, so, especially when you're giving lots of hydration. Um, so definitely things, I, I think including your note, like in your history, like that, that's just like the history and presenting illness. And then you get to your assessment and plan. Well, that's like, especially on advance, I think this is like such a crucial thing to 
not just be like, here's a diagnosis and this is what we're doing. Like, explain. Like, why? why? And especially as interns, I think maybe as you're an attending, as you don't necessarily have to explain, but like, there are going to be so many people following behind me. They might have questions and they might be like, well, why didn't you consider the elevated white blood cell count to be something pointing towards an infection? Well, you might need to explain then that it's below 20, but above 10. And in DKA, white blood cell leukocytosis can be a normal finding. And with the absence of fever, with the absence of <laughs> you know the sign, the chest x-ray being normal, like not really concerning for infection at this time. Like you do need to explain that. And especially it helps the next person coming along that like you've actually checked into it. You've looked at it and you've considered it and you've ruled it out and that why you've ruled it out. So that way, if they are going, okay, well, my job is to not just take your word for everything. My job is to verify. Well, now I can just kind of verify things by watching how you did things like, okay, yeah okay i'll look at that that makes sense that makes sense that makes sense as opposed to just going oh well they diagnosed the patient with this therefore that's you know what that's what it is and i mean i had a patient that was admitted from the hospital for copd exacerbation and (laughs) uh, i was managing the patient on the floors and i kept getting these notes from like the nephrologist and it would be like don't agree with patient you know categorization of patient illness of uh, COPD exacerbation, more likely CHF exacerbation. And it's like, okay, well, treatment's basically the same. But like, then the pulmonologist says that, and it's like, okay, well, maybe I, maybe I just took what the ED or the admit team put on their paperwork and just ran with it instead of doing my own assessment and really being critical and thinking, okay, why... Is this really, is this really a COPD exacerbation, or is this actually a CHF exacerbation? Well, and too, when you were on Eight South, I mean, you were pretty much told no, no offense to the ED, but you're pretty much told ignore the ED notes and just go off of the other notes that are in there and yeah. do your own history and physical and assessment, and so being part of the admit team, you can kind of help that along a little bit, I think, because the ED may or may not have the time to do something more detailed, and they're just going with their first. I mean, the ED is there to keep you alive and to get you onto the right point of care. generally just like, is this patient sick enough to be in the hospital? Yes? Okay, great. Send them to the hospital. Tell them what we think it might be. But, like, they rely on us to really look at the patient, do an assessment, do a deeper dive, and decide on a diagnosis or at least a pathway. And sometimes, like, you don't even end on the same starting point. Like, you start down this one road, you get diverted, and you you end up back on the road again later, and it's just like, oh, well, that's just how it is. Like, you thought the patient came in with uh, CHF exacerbation, and then you got sidetracked thinking maybe it was a pulmonary embolism and that got ruled out and the CT showed something else. Then you started worrying about that thing. And then the pulmonologist comes in and was like, eh, it's probably COP, uh, CHF exacerbation. You're like, okay, we're back to this. <laughs> we're back to the original. And that's just how, you know, that's kind of how medicine can work. I mean, diagnoses are working and you try your best to flush it out. And But the ED is really not there to 
do. I mean, they, they try. They do their best. But every now and then you run across a few that are just like, I don't understand for, a, for an organization that CTs everybody. <laughs> if a patient comes in with an episode of like altered mental status, like, I don't know why that's the patient you didn't, you didn't CT their head. Like, we're going to do that. Like, that's, that's number one on my list is CT their head. Uh, <laughs> well, it's funny. I think one of your attendings this week said, yeah, when you have your ED rotation, you're going to learn a lot. But don't, don't t- take anything <laughs> of what you learn into your internal medicine rotation. Right. And I just thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, it's a little bit of a respect. Like what ED does is, you know, there's a lot of respect for what they do because they get people off the street and sometimes they know next to nothing about them and they have to do certain medication and therapies to get them stabilized. But like then, then it's up to other people the medicine teams to come in and go okay what's going on what do we what do we need to keep going because there's plenty of patients who are on like chronic medications who have sat in the ed for a while and eds that's not their game they're not there to manage your chronic <laughs> you know, oh you've been on uh uh carby levodopin for your parkinson's yeah well, yeah you've been here for 24 hours you haven't got that dose that's fine that's not really our deal like and that's maybe not causing an issue but like you don't sit in the ED and get your maintenance medications. You sit in the ED to get treated for acute issues. So anyway, um, where was I going with notes? Um, Sorry, I no, derailed fine. you. <laughs> but I think there's like I think I will evolve on this opinion. But I think right now it's like I need to write enough to explain to the next person why I did what I did and why we're thinking what we're thinking, and so that they can take it and run with it. It actually, to me, I like it that a lot of times the floor teams will take my notes and just copy and paste them. Um, I mean, I, I would wish to some degree that they would edit it a little bit to note note some updates. You know, any especially on on the more acute issues, like okay, the patient has a history of of Parkinson's. Like, okay, you don't need to change that. That's fine. Go ahead and just say patient has a past medical history of Parkinson's on carvedopa, levodopa. Continue home dose. Like, okay, no big deal. But, like, on more, more acute things, like acute, acute kidney injury, acute on chronic uh, kidney injury, it's like, well, what, what's changed, like, between here and yesterday? Like, you'll, I'll read some notes, and it's just like, I feel like this is the same note I read yesterday. And, like, overnight, no, no events overnight. Patient's doing well. And it's just like, so, but how are they doing? Like, like you read three notes where the patient's doing well, unchanged from the day before, and then suddenly it's discharge. Like what? What? What happened? Like, <laughs> can you? I'm looking for the story, and I I just lost the story because it seemed like the patient basically was stable, but not better. And then suddenly it's like they're out of here. <laughs> and so sometimes the notes can be better, like to be desired, you know. Um, and again, and is the, the extra thing is like kind of Karen said there, is I have to prove to my attendings that I actually know what I'm talking about. And um, as one attending will say, it's like, if you put it in your note, multiple attendants actually have said this, you put it in your note, you write it out, you go through the entire step of doing all the little things, you're going to remember it better. Like, I will remember how to treat COPD exacerbations and pneumonia way better if I write in my entire assessment plan and I go through every single thing and write it all out as opposed to just say, following... A pneumonia protocol, and like, and not going. Oh, we're we're doing 
uh, this is COPD exacerbation. So we're doing pregnisone 40 for five days. We're doing uh, dual nebs, uh, Q6 hours plus dual nebs, Q2 hours as needed. We're also doing antibiotics. So like, you know, which antibiotics are we doing? Uh, incentive spirometry. We're doing uh, possible nasal cannula. If we need nasal cannula, we have RT on board. Like you go through that list because that's all the stuff you're going to have to order. And if you go through it enough times, you'll remember it. And yeah, maybe by second year, I don't need to do all that, but it's so much better in intern year to do it because I, I don't, I mean, for me anyway, I don't remember all the little extra steps and all the small little diagnosis, all the things you had to order, like pulse ox and like some things you think they just automatically get slapped onto the patient when they get into the room actually require a doctor's order. <laughs> so like all the little things, it's important. They're all important. Uh, <laughs> And um, if you do it enough times, you'll remember it. And that's what my attendings say. It's like, you do it enough times, you're going to remember it. And then, and then additionally, if they read your note and they think that you actually make sense, you've done a good job. So that's my piece. I, and again, cycling back, if you are annoyed that somebody's spending a lot more time on their note and being way too detailed, then... That's okay. a you problem. That's a you problem. It's the same thing with Eric watching all the other interns leave and being like, I am so much, I am so far behind because they're all leaving and they, they have their act put together and then come to find out like a week or so later that, oh, they're finishing their notes at home yeah, so, <laughs> or, yeah. or their notes are really short or they only had one patient that yeah. day and you had two or... Yeah. Well, and I will they fully admit my notes students. are rather lengthy and I think I could tighten them up a bunch and still be okay because time is a, a valuable asset. If, I, if I'm the oncoming team, it's nice to read a nice long note and get a feel really good history. But if you spend like half an hour reading someone's long note, you might just be like, I'm just better off chart surfing, you know, just looking, <laughs> looking through the chart and figuring out what's going on as opposed to reading this giant novel. So, um, double-edged sword there. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that was a, yeah, that was out there, but, um. You've got, what, another week of admin team? Uh, yeah, so I have a few more days this week and then a whole nother week. Um, I get this weekend off, which is nice. I get my golden weekend. And then, um, I work basically, I have a, I have a random day off sometime next week and I work over the weekend and I start continuity clinic again, so. We are moving right along. I would like to say that I'm feeling really good and hitting my stride, but like there are good days and there are bad days on admit team. Yesterday was one of the bad days. Um, I guess I had two admits. Again, can't really complain about two admits. It's not a big number. Uh, <laughs> but I, I got my first one on one. And I got my next one about like four. Um, so it ended up causing some, a very long night. And it, I'm still a little embarrassed by being there at like when everyone's going home from admits at four and you do your handoffs and then like, I don't like to hand off my patients until I've actually done my notes. So at least they have a chance to see something and they don't just have to rely on what I told them verbally. And so I'm basically trying to finish all that stuff and like I'm handing off at like nine. <laughs> it's a little embarrassing, especially when the seniors pop in and they're like, you're still here. It's like, yeah, I'm still here. Still here. 
Um, so that's that's a me problem. Uh, <laughs> speaking of me problems. To be fair, that was probably your latest night. Yeah, yeah. Well, your latest night on admin team, not your latest night. You had one later night. Yeah, that I, was I, on, when I, I was when south. I was on short short call on eight south. That that ended up being pretty rough, but yeah, all in all, it's not terrible. There's good days and there's bad days. There's days where I feel like I'm on on a roll, and then there are days where I'm just like I can't do anything right. And <laughs> <laughs> I was a little nervous because I had the same attending today as I had yesterday, and I wasn't sure how she was going to uh, or the night the overnight events. How if she was going to talk to me about that, or if there was going to be an issue about that, and she didn't mention it at all, so whatever. Um, <laughs> but I think there was one, one point. I, I think I wasn't being very fast on the admit. Like I was trying to determine what kind of pain regimen I wanted to put the patient on, and uh, it is some some bits of medicine is hard because. Some of it just comes down to intuition and magic. And <laughs> well, it's like, okay, so this patient, like you want to try to think of a, what is a subject or objective way to go about treating someone's chronic pain. And you're just like, hmm, especially in this particular like, sickle cell crisis. And you're just like, all right, so at the base dose, they are taking, you know, 30 something. M- morphine milligram equivalents and so i would like them i mean they obviously need more because the home dose isn't working and we need to get them out of pain and then we can wean them back down i think that's how the protocol generally works uh states anyway get you know get them out of pain as fast as possible you know close follow-up on on like if they're not not doing well within 30 minutes give them another dose i mean obviously don't 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 overdose kill them. them. <laughs> uh, don't overdose them so you don't have to Narcan somebody, but you don't have to start over again. Um, but uh, it's it's difficult to try to figure out, okay, so what is the right amount? I don't want to overdose them, but I don't want to underdose them. And then you're trying to figure it out, and it's like when you talk to somebody else, they're like, yeah, my attorney just says this is kind of like what he likes to do. And so like, everyone has their own magic potion i guess <laughs> we're doing patient directed um patient controlled um it's pca i can't remember what the a stands for but basically the patient's given a little button <laughs> and they can push the button to administer oh patient controlled administration there we go <laughs> uh, <laughs> um they're limited obviously of how much they can administer over an hour uh or, or every 10 minutes i think in this particular protocol but you're like, oh, how do I do this? How do I do this? And so I was being slow. And my attending brought me into the office to do it, and she selected something. It's fine. Um, they like to have the advents done within a certain amount of time. I wasn't feeling particularly rushed because it was my first advent, and the patient wasn't appearing to be in a lot of pain. So I was like, ah, I don't need to push. I don't need to push this. Um, but I think I, I think she was worried that I hadn't gotten anything done. And but I think she was pleasantly surprised when I had all the orders done except with the pain medication, which arguably is the most important part of it. But uh. well, I think you were trying to figure out if she was drug seeking or not, and what would be the appropriate amount to give because you don't want to determine that oh they're drug seeking and then not actually treat a, an wanna, actual you problem. You don't want to under treat sickle cell crisis. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's but not good. I don't uh, know. The appearance of pain can be relative. It, it kind of is, and especially in patients who are opiate um, tolerant or not naive. Like they've, most patients with sickle cell disease um, have had multiple crises and have been in and out of the hospital receiving very high doses of Dilaudid and morphine. And so they're not newbies to the, to the opiate game. And I think being on opiates for a long period of time certainly proposes, an, I think, an increased risk of addiction. And so then you have to deal with, like, what is an addiction? What is, you know, what is the actual treatment, uh, actual pain? Because sickle cell crisis can cause incredibly painful episodes of vaso-occlusive uh, disease, so vaso-occlusive uh, episodes. So you've got to be careful. Um, and so you don't, I think every literature is like, don't treat them as if they're pain-seeking, uh, drug-seeking. you got to just treat the pain. And so, yeah, I was trying to figure that out. But I had finished all my notes and signed it, and I got a message from my attending. He's like, come see me in my office. And I was like, crap. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, sure, I'll be right down there in a little bit. And I immediately opened my note. I'm like, what's wrong with my note? What's wrong with my note? <laughs> and I noticed I didn't, I didn't complete the uh, medical decision-making component. And I was like, ah, she mentioned that earlier, and I just didn't, I just didn't do it. I did half of it. I didn't do the rest of it. And so I just did it real quick, and I went and jumped down there, and she was like, so you know, and then she opens it up, and it's like, huh. And I thought, I, I didn't see it. What, what happened? Like, I didn't see it before, but it's there now. And like, she's like, I guess my, am I going crazy? Like, did you not? Like, no, you, you're not crazy. I, I didn't do it. But like, when you messaged me, I quickly ran and did it, and, and I came down here. So <laughs> she's like, oh, okay, I wanted to teach you how to do it. That's fine. <laughs> so, um, which, but she did have another teaching point as well with sickle cell. She was and it's something I didn't really know. Um, so obviously sickle cell has sickle cell anemia because you lose red blood cell due to turnover. Um, but you do need to monitor these patients because, uh, an anemia, I think, and again, maybe I, maybe my medical school didn't teach me, maybe I just didn't pay attention. Um, but not every anemia is treated the same. Like, uh, definitely there's a baseline of like, oh, anemia below seven or hemoglobin below seven means you need to transfuse a patient that's symptomatic. And so therefore everybody gets transfused below seven if they're symptomatic. And it's like, that's not necessarily true for sickle cell anemic patients. They get transfused if they drop two grams per deciliter from the baseline. So this patient's baseline Let's say it was in the 10s, so they went down to 8, that might be an indication to transfuse. And of course, um, acute chest syndrome and other other things might be other indications for transfusion. But like, I think it was like congestive heart failure. you got to keep the hemoglobin above 10. Um, I forgot the other one. There was another one that was like, you can go down to 9 or like 8 or something like that, and then you have to transfuse. So it's like, oh, that was... Uh, uh, coronary artery disease, um, you need the hemoglobin above an eight, um, because the heart, you know, everything's going to need oxygen. You don't want too low. Anyway, I'm getting off track here, but it's like, it's anyway, late. We have <laughs> learned a lot this week. <laughs> it's again, this is a teaching, you know, yeah. I, I'm a doctor, but I'm, I'm still learning a ton and trying to absorb as much as possible and not be a complete noob 
um, not be dangerous, I think is the better way to put it, but it's hard. Is it balance? Cause you want to be, they want you to be a doctor. They want you to take charge and do things, but you'd also don't want to hurt anybody. And so you can't spend your entire time running everything by your seniors and running everything by your attendees because at some point they just want you to do it. And that's what I struggle because I, I don't want to hurt anybody. So I want to run everything by everybody, even the stupidest things. And so that causes me to get a little paralyzed, I think sometimes and not make decisions or not move quickly on. And so that's stuff I have to work on, uh, Intern years is great. <laughs> anyway, uh, we will uh, probably wrap it up here, and uh, we, we should wrap it up. Um, we are Eric is still he's going to pay for his step three token. Yay! <laughs> and we're going to get that scheduled here. He's been studying when he has the opportunity, and um, we'll kind of touch back on that. Um, as we stated, he has one more week of admit team, then I'll have continuity clinic. And then what is your rotation after that? I, for some reason I thought it was ED, but you it's infectious, infectious disease, infectious disease, and then ED. So I think infectious disease back to continuity and ED. Yeah. So we are chugging a lot, but I've heard infectious disease is wonderful. So like they roll in at like 10 o'clock and they leave around so lots of study time is possible and see what i hear is i need to schedule all the doctor's appointments for everybody go for it (laughs) during the rotations where he as long as it's with tessin (laughs) (laughs) if anyone's listening we put in long hours and hard work (laughs) it's nice to have breaks every now and then Anyway, we will see you guys next week. Um, You have a good week. Bye.